Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Jeff Lucas. The dust has surely settled on our New Year's resolutions of 2022. How are you doing with those? I made three resolutions personally. I'm not going to play the oboe. I'm not going to speak Cantonese or eat frog's legs during 2022. And I'm doing really well with all three of these choices, not least because I've never played the oboe and don't want to. I don't know a single word of Cantonese. And the thought of eating frog's legs makes me ill, which I'm sure is good news that delights frogs everywhere. But more seriously, when we come to the end of a year and we're in the beginning weeks of another year, we often use that time to look back, look around, and then look forward in our lives. Or do we? There's a danger that we can just do life on cruise control, and we set the cruise control at high speed, rushing along, never stopping to consider where we've been, what we're doing, or where we're going. So tonight, we're going to reflect on reflection here on Lucas on Life. Here's Lauren Daigle. We're reflecting on reflection. He or she who endeavours to teach their offspring to drive, truly it shall be a curse unto them. Ride not in thine child's chariot, and longer and calmer shall thy life be upon the earth. So says the wise man in the book of Proverbs. Or maybe it's Ecclesiastes. Now, please step away from the concordance and don't email me to complain, because obviously no such verse occurs anywhere in the Bible. But that's unfortunate because a prohibition about parents teaching their adult children to drive would have been helpful. I'm embarrassed to report that my lack of patience and occasional high-pitched screaming when I tried to play driving instructor as well as dad. Those of us who are parents will know that we tend to remember our worst moments in raising our children. And when I think about my own shortcomings, and there are many, my attempts at being a driving instructor come quickly to mind and caused me to blush with shame. But I also remember a mantra often repeated during those intense nail-biting lessons, mirror signal maneuver, mirror signal maneuver. In other words, be sure that you look behind you before you change lane or direction. That way, you'll avoid having a metallic encounter with something rather solid, like a juggernaut. Mirror signal maneuver. Wise advice indeed, not only for driving, but for life itself. It's been said that life is lived forwards, but it's understood backwards. Our eyesight tends to be keener when we carefully look back, when we reflect. I originally reflected on this, having emerged from that festival of forward thinking, New Year's Eve. Wearied by headlines dominated by COVID, we look forward, hopefully, to a better 2022. Resolutions were made and goals considered for the coming year. We raised a glass and chinked a toast, keen for better days ahead. We had no idea that something called Omicron was waiting in the wings, poised to make such a tragic entrance. Looking positively ahead is healthy, but looking back is vital too. Some Christians are always hunting for a fresh word from God, a revelation, but neglect the treasure that might be buried in our past, and that's wisdom. We don't have to look far in Scripture to see wisdom celebrated. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding, says Proverbs 4 verse 7. 
It really does say that. I didn't make that one up. Called to march into the promised land, the people of Israel were commanded to regularly look back and reflect. Failure to do so led to their wilderness meanderings. God's people tasted their past as they ate unleavened bread, celebrating the Passover. Their story was scribbled on their doorposts. People wore their story, tying symbols on their hands and forehead. What had been before was recalled by altars and stone pillars, marking the spots of historic triumphs and encounters with God. When building the temple, furniture makers carved their past story in wood. Sculptors sculpted it. Metal workers hammered it. And jewelers set the story in precious stones. And the story was smelled as incense was offered. It was acted out through the elaborate sacrificial system. It was even chimed as the priestly bells sounded. And then festivals and gatherings were regular opportunities for covenant renewal, evaluation and definition, enabling the people of God to question themselves. Have we been faithful to the covenant? Where have we failed? Retrospection and reflection led to repentance. Things went badly wrong when they forgot who they were and where they'd come from. So perhaps we'd do well to regularly look back and reflect, and not just in the New Year season. And this is more than nostalgia. Rose-tinted spectacles must be removed. There will be moments of gratitude as we trace the finger of God. Faith will be nurtured as we celebrate the truth that the one who has helped us will help us still. Perhaps there will be some regret when we see the tracks of our own wanderings. Undoubtedly, there'll be some vital lessons reinforced, as we recall them and determine not to repeat our follies. Most of all, considering our yesterdays will help all of us navigate healthily into our tomorrows. Mirror, signal, maneuver, or in one word, reflect. I wish I'd known years ago that sometimes we Christians need to do just nothing. It was obvious to all that my sermon was drawing to a close, Not only had I uttered the words much beloved by congregations everywhere, and finally, but in summarising the key points of my sermon, it was clear that I was preparing to land the proverbial plane. This was further confirmed by some members of the worship team ambling back on stage with a keyboard player poised to tickle the keys, final confirmation that this preacher was just about done with talking. But it was then that I sensed heightening tension in the congregation, because Everyone knew what was coming, the time of response. My friends in the Salvation Army have their mourners bench, while Pentecostals here in America often provide tissues for the convenience of the tearfully repentant during the response time. My listeners braced themselves for this moment, and what followed was a surprise to everyone, including me. These response times are usually designed to seal the deal, as it were, at the end of the sermon. The sermon itself lays down a challenge. The response time is the moment when listeners pick up that metaphorical gauntlet, engage their will, and decide. The actual choice they're making varies. It may be a step towards giving more financially, or just giving something. It might be that the person responding is deciding to become a Christian, or is determining to pass the good news around more intentionally. They might be turning their back on a destructive pathway currently being trod. They might be making a heart choice to mend a broken relationship. But the idea is simple. Here's what God says, so now, what are we going to do about it? Response takes faith from cherished Sunday morning theory 
to Monday morning action. And these moments of response can be very, very good. My own father, hardened by the bitterness that had encrusted him during his five years as a half-starved prisoner of war, walked to the front of a church at the conclusion of a Sunday morning service because he'd decided finally to follow Jesus. It was wonderful, but a little bit bewildering too, as he walked forward without there being an actual invitation given. The pastor was sharing the end of the service announcements, otherwise known as the notices. So the mildly confused congregation couldn't figure out if Dad was coming home to Jesus or registering an interest in the ladies' embroidery group that meets on Tuesday mornings. It was a beautiful day as he responded. And that evening, I was preaching in another church and my parents sat up in the balcony. During my sermon, I pointed up to my dad and said, see that man up there? That's my dad, visiting here all the way from England. This morning, he made a response to Jesus, and tonight he's a Christian. A thousand people stood up and gave him a standing ovation, celebrating his response, and he smiled and waved like the queen. Whatever the reason for the response, the opportunity to decide is good. But all that said, it can be a little tiring because if you've been around Christian subculture for a while, you can start to feel worn out by the responses, especially if you're in a church where an RSVP is extended every Sunday. We can feel overwhelmed by the continual stream of coulds and shoulds and oughts and musts. Now, I'm not suggesting that passive Christianity is the way forward. The church showcased in the New Testament, while not perfect, was certainly hardworking and intentional. They took action. They spent their lives and gave all they had for the gospel. But that same New Testament talks about the sense of rest that is the heritage of every believer. Belief without effort is meaningless. Belief that is just about effort is exhausting, and it will certainly prevent us from truly reflecting. Derek Tidball is an esteemed retired college principal, theologian, author, and speaker. One time, I was conducting a radio interview with Derek here on Premier Christian Radio, and we were talking about a book that he'd written, and I asked him if he could distill all of his learning and reflection into one key statement that he felt was of the greatest significance. And his answer went like this. He said, we spend too much time talking about what we can do for God not enough time talking about what God has done for us in Christ. And when we do talk about what God has done, we then too quickly rush to speak about what we can therefore do for him. You see, in that insightful sentence, Derek handed me a valuable key. In my own life, and certainly in the lives of many Christians, I've noticed a sense of fidgety agitation. We never seem to be able to pray enough or give enough or serve enough. The Christian life seems filled with imperatives, calls to action. And discipleship, again, it is a call to action. But it's a call centered around the finished work of Jesus that leads to peace, the Holy Spirit who empowers us, the partnership with God in what he wants to do through us. And it comes as a fruit of reflection, not just lots of good ideas or things that we want to attempt for Jesus. Today, let's know that we're not called to a treadmill, but rather to a rest resting in God's work, his forgiveness, acceptance, and love that we could never earn. And so back to that sermon that night, I offered the invitation. I said, tonight, I want you to respond by just doing this. Please do absolutely 
nothing except sit down. That's right. If you're weary, worn out, disappointed, just do this. Sit down. Don't come forward. Don't pray or feel compelled to make any decisions. Don't do anything except take the weight off your feet. The result was unexpected. Some hesitated, nervous that a Christian gathering could conclude without the anticipated series of imperatives. Some people burst into tears as they just took their seats, obviously extremely weary. Others said that they'd palpably sensed the presence of God in that moment. Perhaps it was just the relief, the knowledge that being a Christian is not just about what we do for God, but includes resting in all that God has done for us and then spending time with him in reflection to see what he would like us to do. After the service was over, numbers of people came up to say how significant the opportunity to just do nothing had been for them. They just sat down. What is Jesus doing right now? One biblical picture has him sitting down at the place of final accomplishment and ultimate comfort at the right hand of the Father. So today, if you are busy for God, you're now at the end of a very hurried Sunday. Thank you for your tireless faithfulness. I mean that sincerely. And if you're hassled and frazzled and worn out and weary, why not just take five minutes to just be with that seated Jesus and join him? Go on, take the weight off, sit down and enjoy the luxury of just being with him that being in his presence may well lead to fruitful reflection. As we've been reflecting on reflection, I realise that I actually live my life at speed. I tend to eat quickly and I can't think why. Savouring the flavours of food has never been my style. I wish I could say that I was raised in a large, hungry family where if you didn't eat the chicken quickly, it would be snatched off the plate. But it's just not true. I just raced through my food because I tend to race through everything. I speed read, preferring to skim over sentences rather than fully digest the words. I multitask, steam through to-do lists, and fume in rush hour traffic jams, where congestion means that the one thing you can't do is rush. I get things done so that I can get on to the next thing. Rushing is an unconscious habit. It's one that's hard to break. And so as we continue into this relatively new year, may it be that we don't just dash around without thinking, living under pressure, but we give ourselves the luxury of time to reflect. See you next time. Lucas on Life.